are Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to the Tuesday, October 13th edition of Locked On Dolphins. Today is Power to the Pod. It's your show, your questions, your topics, and we dig in. But not before we do have a couple storylines that do need to be addressed. Today's episode is brought to you by Visa. Help support your local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores, coffee spots, or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless Visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. The first bit of news coming this morning from Mike Garofolo reporting that Dolphins defensive tackle Devon Godshaw has suffered a biceps injury against San Francisco in Week 5, an injury that may ultimately be a season-ending injury for Devon Godshaw. Garofolo reporting on Twitter this morning, Godshall suffered a biceps injury that could be season-ending, sources tell me and Tom Pelissero. Godshall, former fifth-round pick who's been a full-time starter in Miami the last few years, is getting a second opinion on the injury. First and foremost, uh, your heart goes out to any player who gets hurt. Devon has been a staple in the South Florida community. He is everything the Miami Dolphins want in a player in their locker room. He is of super high integrity. He busts his ass. And I feel for him a lot because he's in a contract year this year. And the more opportunities he was going to have to show out and play at a high level, uh, the better. With that said, looking from a Dolphins personnel perspective, uh, I don't necessarily think that an injury and an absence, prolonged absence, of Devon Godshaw changes too much about what the Miami Dolphins want to do. It hurts your depth, yes, absolutely. But the Dolphins have seen dramatic development from Zach Sealer, the defensive lineman who they picked up off the waiver wire from the Baltimore Ravens last December. Sealer is one of the better performing defensive linemen on the team right now. Devon Godshaw, here's his snap counts. For the season, 44 against New England, 38 against the Bills, 28 against Jacksonville, 36 against Seattle, 26 against San Francisco. Between Christian Wilkins, who is playing somewhere between 60 and 75% of the Dolphins snaps on any given game through the first five weeks of the season, Zach Sealer who is playing, he played four games against, or four snaps against New England, then went 16-31-26-44. Steady rate of increase in his usage. And Raekwon Davis, the second-round pick from Alabama, who Brian Flores was obviously stoked to get, who's snapping somewhere between 27 and 10 snaps across all five games this season. The Dolphins can really disperse Godshall's reps depending on base front, down and distance scenario. 
And I think they can can really soften the blow. They will probably bring somebody else in if this is indeed a seasoning and an injury for Devon Gotchow. But this is not an injury that Miami is not equipped to be able to take in stride, much like we saw them take the Vince Beagle injury in stride. Uh, and this is kind of the the ceiling that exists with Devon Godshaw as a player is Devon is a plug. He controls gaps. He's very sturdy, but he's not a splash defender. And as a result, if you're just looking for a guy who can occupy gaps, you can find those guys with moderate ease and you can utilize the talent that you have on the roster to eat up as much of your snaps as possible so that the person who's going to step into Devon Godshall's spot on the roster is probably going to snap 10 snaps a game. Dolphins, their depth, the, again, we talked about it yesterday at the end of the show, the difference between addressing and investing positions, the Dolphins choosing to invest in their trenches, defensive line play, is really going to help them as they look to take this injury to Devon Godchow in stride. But with that said, this sucks for Devon. And we, of course, send him our best wishes and hope for the best as he gets a second opinion on his biceps injury. Up next for us here on Locked On Dolphins, a big test. The Miami Dolphins enter week six of the 2020 season as betting favorites for the first time under head coach Brian Flores, an incredible stretch of 21 consecutive games in which the Dolphins were betting underdogs the entirety of the 2019 season and the first five games of 2020. The Dolphins against the spread in those 21 games, 12-9. and nine. But for the first time, they will be betting favorites facing a New York Jets team that is so bad it's actually accomplished a feat that the 2019 Miami Dolphins never did, losing each of their first five games by more than one score. Miami enters this game favored by eight points, according to the betting lines. An opportunity for the Dolphins to live up to expectations that they have put on themselves based on their early season performances against the lesser teams on the schedule, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the San Francisco 49ers. Both of those games, of course, ended up being double-digit victories for the Miami Dolphins. But the Dolphins have not faced a team this season to the degree of pitifulness in which they will find in Week 6 against the New York Jets. The San Francisco 49ers, granted with a healthy Nick Bosa, led the New York Jets at halftime by a score of 21-3 and ultimately won the game by a final score of 31-3. And as a reminder, the Dolphins smacked down the San Francisco 49ers in Week 5 by a score of 43-17. So if San Francisco is that much better than the Jets, who will potentially be without starting quarterback Sam Darnold, who is dealing with a shoulder injury suffered against the Denver Broncos, how much better should we expect the Dolphins to be than the Jets? Unfortunately, there are no guarantees. But, simultaneously, the Dolphins, because of the way they played and defeated the Jacksonville Jaguars and the San Francisco 49ers, have proven that they are capable of not playing down to lesser teams. And there are few teams in recent memory that are as lesser than everyone else than the 2020 New York Jets. They're woefully bad on offense. They're last in the NFL in first downs 
and points. They're giving up almost 400 yards per game. They are one of the least disciplined teams in football, and they are without potentially quarterback Sam Darnold coming into this game. Miami Dolphins fans know all too well about the quirks of an Adam Gase-coached football team, and yet miraculously, because of a 6-2 finish to the 2019 season, in which Gase's Jets beat up on a bunch of teams that drafted in the top 10 overall in the NFL draft, Gase is still in the picture, and two NFL teams have since fired their head coaches this season, Houston's Bill O'Brien and Atlanta's Dan Quinn. And yet the Jets, through it all, who were woefully bad in the first half of 2019 and are even worse for the first five games of 2020, insist on leaving Adam Gase at the helm, which gives the Dolphins a clear and obvious advantage coming into this game. And the test should be, can the Dolphins avoid playing down to their competition? And if they can, can they effectively kill this game early? If the Dolphins are able to do that, then they will show continued signs of growth as they look to continue to develop as a young football team still learning how to close and win games. RockAuto.com is a family business who's been providing auto parts customers with high-quality service online for the past 20 years. So whether you're looking for engine control modules, carpet, brake lights, new carpet for your classic or daily driver, or anything else that you could possibly need, RockAuto.com has it all in one easy-to-navigate catalog, and in just a few clicks, you can get everything you need delivered directly to your front door. Best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are the same for both professionals and do-it-yourselfers, so why would you shop anywhere else and spend up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit RockAuto.com for all of your auto parts needs, and make sure you write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, and all of the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. Power to the pod time. Regularly scheduled programming. iTunes reviews. I got a bunch of them. Uh, Some that checked in late uh, last week, starting on Tuesday. Uh, We have a Number of iTunes reviews, we're going to try and hammer them out as quickly as possible so I can cover as much ground as possible. Johnny B with the first question, wouldn't it be smart to start to and now so we can evaluate him now? If the Texans leave us with a top pick, we could have a chance to draft Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. Why not start him now so we can go to good sample size, and if he can't cut it or if health is an issue, we can draft another quarterback? It's a good question. Uh, This is something I've explored over the Draft Network recently as far as what the Dolphins would do if they ended up because it won't come from Miami with two pick, two wins already. If Houston were to end up gifting the Dolphins the number one pick in the NFL draft, what would they do? And I could tell you, two is the third highest graded quarterback I've given out in five years. Trevor Lawrence will be high, more highly graded than Tua. And what I would do is I would take the more highly rated quarterback. GM's job is to improve every position on the team as much as possible. But with that said, and I say that with absolutely zero disrespect to Tua, The Dolphins were very vocal about being able to evaluate Josh Rosen throughout practice last year. And I think from an evaluation perspective, the Dolphins don't have the pressure to evaluate. Some guys are gamers, yes, of course, but 
Tua, his evaluation, the only value I think you get from like a can he execute this offense perspective is probably to see what the durability looks like. And as far as the evaluation, I think your benefit of playing him is potentially trying to boost his stock to other teams if the Dolphins were in a position to draft Trevor Lawrence. I like Justin Fields a lot. Justin will probably be similarly rated to Tua. I wouldn't I wouldn't make a parallel move just for the sake of making a parallel move. Trevor Lawrence is a step up because I think Trevor Lawrence is the best quarterback prospect we've seen in the decade plus. So in that scenario, yeah, you take Trevor. For anybody else, I think it's a lateral move at best. It would be nonsensical, in my opinion. You picked a guy, you've invested in a guy. Let's roll with that guy. Uh, Ben McDaniel, awesome podcast. Thank you. Assuming the Dolphins finish with top 10-ish picks in the draft next year, what positions? Let's go. Bunch of draft questions. What, What positions would you go for in the first two rounds, and who would you choose? I won't get into the deep dive stuff here, Ben, but I will tell you I am less worried about offensive tackle than I was at the beginning of the season. Bobby McCain has an opportunity to appease my concerns at free safety. He's played two consecutive good games against NFC West opponents in Seattle and San Francisco. Uh, I do think, obviously, the Devon Godshaw injury is something that we have to ask ourselves if Devon will be back, at, at what price, and if he's gone, another defensive interior defensive lineman makes a lot of sense. Edge rusher, I think guys who can kind of win organically is still something we need to address a little bit and a wide receiver. And I'm really going to champion that tight end spot. I would really love to see this offense go out and get another mismatched tight end. Uh, LT Spears, love the podcast. Thank you for being open and honest with your opinion of the team. Thank you for listening. Uh, Right now we own the number two pick from the Texans. That obviously changed with the Texans winning this past weekend. This question came in midweek last week. Uh, Question about what we are looking to address in the draft, but... There is a pivot I can make here. I love the thought of Jalen Waddle for a deep threat that Tua already has chemistry with or a Micah Parsons to give us some elite athleticism at our linebacker spot. I did not mention linebacker spot with Ben's question, uh, but yes, linebacker is a big problem. We need a Mike. We need a Mike that can play all three downs is what we need. Micah Parsons can be that guy. Guys outside of Micah Parsons in this year's draft that I feel comfortable doing it. Cameron McGrone, a linebacker from Michigan, he's probably a a day two guy. Probably not a first-round guy, but he's got tons of skills. Kind of reminds me of Devin Bush. Uh, He's somebody who stands out to me as a potential candidate. Uh, I don't think Chaz Surratt, the linebacker from North Carolina, is a Mike. I think he's more of a Will, a chase and space guy. And Miami's got some guys like that. But I would feel more comfortable with... McGrone, maybe Jack Sanborn from Wisconsin is another name to know. He's got a little bit more thud to him. He's not super dynamic, but I think he's a better functional athlete than what Raquel McMillan was. Arnoso, this is the best Dolphins podcast I've come across. Thank you. Uh, is this the time we see Matt Breida taking more snaps with extra motivation playing against his old team? Obviously, this question came through midweek last, last week, but we did see that. And I think we will continue to see a greater trend of usage with Matt Breida. He continues to be the guy who can take the check down underneath and create explosive plays. I think it, I think the two biggest passing plays the Dolphins have had to running backs on completed passes were Brita 
in each of the last two weeks. I believe he had a 20-something yarder against Seattle. And then he it was either against Jacksonville or Seattle, and then he had the 31-32 yarder uh, this past week against San Francisco. He makes stuff happen underneath, and that's when we talk about this Dolphins offense and the risk of playing inside the box, right? Needing better athletes to win after the catch. That's the difference between Miles Gaskin, who's super reliable, but once the ball's in his hands, like how much does he really create happen? Versus a Matt Burita, who is 22 miles per hour top speed and pretty shifty in the open field. And that kind of gets into why Jakeem Grant can be so frustrating because he can be another piece like that, but his performance on a week-to-week basis is nowhere near consistent enough to be where it needs to be, which is why I'll continue to champion for some more speed at the wide receiver position to you know, either keep Jakeem in a role as a returner where he's best utilized or potentially ask ourselves some hard questions about Jakeem Grant. Power to the pod, AMN Francis. Started listening to your show about a month ago. Became a fan immediately. Thank you for listening. I appreciate that. Sincerely. Keep up the great work. My question is, with all the issues of separation the Dolphins wide receivers are having, do you think Antonio Callaway would help once he comes off his eight-game suspension? (sighs) Not really. Callaway really does not move the needle for me. I I thought he was raw coming out of Florida. I know some people talked about his physical skill, and yes, he can blaze but his hands aren't very good. I didn't think he was very developed as a route runner. I think he's more of a deep guy. But I don't necessarily see him being a guy that's going to win in the Isaiah 4 role. So while I think Callaway brings you a physical component that you don't have a lot of, he's one of the more elementary receivers on the roster as far as what he's capable of, or at least what he's shown to this point as a route runner. Like there, there, there's red flags off the field that have led to him not being able to latch on with the team. But like, you see talented guys get shots over and over again. And obviously, him getting a shot in Miami qualifies as getting a shot. But like, he doesn't have the resume to make me feel really confident in his ability to play a prominent role in this team. I think you'll continue to see Lynn Bowden can get more looks. Lynn Bowden doesn't have the red flags off the field. Lynn Bowden's a rookie that the Dolphins just invested in and gave up a a fourth-round pick for. And Lynn Bowden's got some additional versatility because he can play quarterback in a wildcat package. That's where I would look if the Dolphins are going to look for more uh, separation. Of course, Lynn Bowden's very raw as a route runner because he played triple-option quarterback last year for Kentucky. But we'll see. Last showing iTunes review comes from Modern Trout. Power to the pod, five stars. Thank you for the five-star review. I'm new to podcast, and I love this one, so it's hard finding anything that talks about Miami while living in Oklahoma. And I agree with you on most things, except some of your talks on wide receivers when it comes to the draft. You talk about Chase and Waddle, but what about Chris Olave from Ohio State? I believe there are three players coming out of Ohio State after this season that I believe would be a good fit for Miami. What are your thoughts on Sean Wade, Wyatt Davis, and Chris Olave? I think there's a lot more than three. To be honest with you, uh, I, with my works over at the Draft Network, I'm the director of scouting over there. I'm personally responsible for the Big Ten region, so I know Ohio State very well. And I look at names like Wyatt Davis, as you mentioned, Chris Olave, as you mentioned, uh, Master Teague, the running back who's coming off an Achilles injury, is another name to watch. Josh Myers, the center, would be a great fit for the Dolphins on day two. 
Chris Olave, I like a lot. He's very smooth. He's discount Devonta Smith, in my opinion. Sean Wade not sold, they'll go corner again, uh, but he is a fit for the Dolphins with what they do, no question. I look at Baron Browning, the linebacker. Pete Werner, another linebacker. Ohio State's got a lot of talent, and a lot of talent that could definitely help the Dolphins. Tyreek Johnson, a high-end five-star corner, is another youngster, is potential day-two guy. He's quote-unquote next there, but he, he's only played, I think his career-high snaps is like 16 against Rutgers last year. Ohio State's loaded with talent. I like Olave a lot as a day-two option for the Dolphins, for sure. We at the Locked On Network have been champions of the Built brand ever since we tried the world's fastest-growing protein bar, Built Bar. But here's the thing. Built doesn't just make bars. Their new product, Built Go, is a terrific way for you to break through your mental or physical barriers on a daily basis. Built Go is a workout gel that comes in a one and a half ounce packet. It's easy to take with you anywhere, whether it's in your golf bag, your back pocket, your lunchbox, you name it. It's like five hour energy without the same crash. Plus, it's natural and better for your body. It's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and even better results. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and my personal favorite, chocolate mint. Built Go combines energy gel with the collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets into your system quickly, and it's easy on the stomach. It's loaded with the good stuff to ignite your system, like beta alanine, B3 honey, and a kick of caffeine. And it kicks to keep you going all day long with B6 and B12. Collagen also promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff literally will make you look better on top of feeling better. So visit BuiltGo.com and use promo code LOCKED and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. So we have Twitter questions to close the show, but... <laughs> News happening in real time this morning as I'm recording the podcast. Mike Garofalo has already updated his report regarding Devon Godshaw. The second opinion from Devon Godshaw apparently happened on WebMD or something like that because it was within a span of an hour. <laughs> we had a new report. Uh, Godshaw's second opinion is that he could potentially return late in the season for the Dolphins. So that is the tentative plan the Dolphins are going to operate with. Expect them to place Devon Godshaw on IR with an open-ended potential late return come sometime in December, presumably. Keeping our fingers crossed for you, Devon. So last bulk of the show here, we got Twitter questions, and we got a bunch. We got like over 30 of them. Spoiler alert, this ain't baseball. We won't, We ain't going to touch them all. There's no way. But... Damn it, we're going to try. So here we go. First Twitter question of the day comes from Alejo. With the new schedule and if Miami stays at or near 500, what week do you, would you throw Tua in? I'm not. If we're near 500 and we're competing for a playoff spot with everything being status quo, unless the Dolphins are scoring 10 points a game, I'm not moving. And the Dolphins right now are averaging almost 28 points per game. There are flaws on this team. I think there's a higher ceiling with Tua, but this team is capable of playing competitive football as evidenced by what they did against San Francisco and Jacksonville two of the last three weeks and hopefully what they do against the New York Jets. 
Jake, how realistic is a Dolphins playoff run where Tua plays Week 17 similar to Mahomes and the Chiefs? Is there strategic reasons Flores is not playing Tua or is playing the Tua car close to his chest? Or is it the fact that he's not ready? And if he's not ready, should that be a worry? No and no. Uh, realistic Dolphins playoff run where Tua plays Week 17 similar to Mahomes and the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs did that, but then Fitzpatrick was the starter again in the playoffs. So it's not like the Dolphins are like, oh, Tua is our secret weapon. We're going to see if we can't flirt our way into the playoffs as a fringe team and then drop Tua in. And like the whole season is ahead of Miami at this point, especially if they climb back to 500. It's a 10-game season at that point. The Dolphins' offense is not... They're struggling with consistency of execution. Should not be a surprise. Uh, But they've been in position to win... All five games they played this season. Week one, you knew there were going to be some growing pains with the timing of the offense. I'm not super worried, especially when you're going against New England and you lose Devontae Parker for the second half. I don't think there's any like magic trick that's going to happen here with Tua. Marcos, would you target any player on the Falcons or Texans rosters for a trade before the deadline? Or would you rather... This is a great question. Trade deadline targets... Okay, so let my, my producer, a.k.a. me, it's going to pull up the Falcons roster right now. This is a team that both these teams established that they are going to be moving on from players because they have new regimes coming in. Atlanta, obviously the popular ones are going to be Julio Jones, Alex Mack. I don't think either one of those players makes sense for the Dolphins because they're older players. I would be interested in like younger talents that maybe need a fresh start which I don't necessarily think either one of these teams is going to be prompted to do. I'm looking at both of these teams now. Like names I'd be like Charles Amenahue from Houston I'd be interested in, but they've no motivation to move on from him. They're going to try and move like probably JJ Watt. But he's expensive, he's older, he's slowing down. Uh so no. I I'll pass on picking up players from either one of those two teams, but great question. Uh, Tone Toto wants to know, hypothetically, if Houston finishes with the worst record and the Jets finish number two, the Jets offer Miami three number ones to drop one spot so they can pick Lawrence. Do you pull the trigger? I can't answer that question without knowing what other offers I'm getting from teams trying to jump the Jets because I think you could probably get that much plus more for a Trevor Lawrence but also, if I'm Miami, I'm probably trading to and taking Lawrence for myself. So I'm probably the wrong guy to ask on that question. Ian Carter, great show as always. Thank you. Uh, what future does Dakeem Grant have with the Dolphins after some lackluster performances? This is kind of what I was worried about, about trying to elevate Jakeem into a more prominent role on the team because they needed explosiveness or speed or mismatches or whatever. It's like... And Jakeem obviously was very vocal this this offseason about wanting to prove himself as a receiver. That effort is not going well. And it extends beyond just the drop that he had on the shallow crosser. He 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 has some plays on the in the return game and in punt returns where you hold your breath because there's a lot of not north and south movement. There's the, the muff that he nearly had against San Francisco last week, early in the game, 
the 12-yard loss on the reverse from trying to make too much happen and kind of like his punt returns, right? Like, man, like, just get north. Like, you're not going to hit a home run on every play. And he knows that. But I think Jakeem is because you can't put him in every play. You can't work him in, in the passing game in high volume because there's durability concerns. He's a pitch count guy. And he's always, in my opinion, been a pitch count guy. So I guess where it gets to be slippery sometimes is you've heard Dolphins fans say, oh, well, you know, we don't need speed. We've got Jakeem. Well, how many how many touches do you trust to give Jakeem Grant on a weekly basis? That's what you got to ask ask yourselves, and that's the question you've got to answer. And if your, your answer is more than probably outside of the return game, just a handful of touches, like, I'm going to personally disagree with you, and that's okay. But that's why when you hear me talk on this podcast about wanting more dynamic receivers, that's why. Because I don't think Jakeem has a very prominent long-term role on this roster. I think as a return guy, he's excellent. I think as a wide receiver six, he's perfectly fine. He's your gadget guy. But right now, he's like, what, wide receiver three in Miami? Wide receiver four? Isaiah Ford, since he stepped up and and Preston's plays kind of stabilized? Uh, Jason, based on the play you've seen so far, can you debunk the criticism that Byron Jones gets for not having a lot of interceptions? Seems to me his coverage is so tight that teams would rather avoid him. I think you're right. I think you're accurate. And I, I think the best sign of evidence for how valuable Byron Jones is is to look at what the Dallas Cowboys secondary looks like this year. They're pining for Byron Jones. They would kill to have Byron Jones back. Because their secondary without him is awful because they have a bunch of CB3s that now somebody's got to try and play CB1 because their CB1 actually left because they didn't want to pay him because they thought it was more important to pay Jalen Smith $12 million a year, whatever it was. Let's see. Drunken Fins. If we lose to the Fins, it's because they did what three things well against us? Um, Ran the ball. Between the tackles, received a special team score, and had several unforced errors from Ryan Fitzpatrick. The the Jets are just so talent deficient right now. Uh, Shane, I'm looking at the Jets' schedule, and they legitimately look like they could lose out. I could see Washington or Atlanta, not the Giants, challenging them for the top spot. How worried are you if the Jets get the number one overall pick? I don't want to see Jets uh, get Trevor Lawrence. Yet Neither do I, but at the same time, A lot of quarterback success stems from the environment. I think that's more more often than not. Quarterback success is is a product of the entire organization and the environment, which is why I'm a fan of what the Dolphins are doing with Tua versus you look at Cincinnati. No experienced head coach, no experienced play caller, no experienced backup quarterback. It's just Joe Burrow behind a terrible offensive line and he's getting the tar knocked out of him every week. That adds up. Think about what the Dolphins did with Ryan Tannehill. Years and years and years of bad pass protection developed bad habits. Trevor is, I stated earlier in this podcast, in my belief, the best quarterback prospect we've seen in a decade plus. He will elevate that team, whatever team he goes to, even if they're a bad organization. But look at Andrew Luck. Andrew Luck was a pain in the butt. But Andrew Luck, in a bad organization, with a a team that could not get things right around him, wore him down so quickly he retired at the age of, what, 31? 
30. Trevor Lawrence is not an automatic Lombardi trophy scheduled to go to wherever he goes. You see talented quarterbacks, they'll be competitive, but that doesn't mean that the Dolphins can't still beat a competitive New York Jets team with Trevor Lawrence at the helm because I don't trust so much of what else from ownership down that their team is doing. Last one today, Kyle Smith. Rank these unexpected finds. This is a great closer. Preston Williams, Miles Gaskin, Zach Sealer, Nick Needham, Bobby McCain at free safety, and Eric McRow at free safety. Okay, so I got to rank these as the best to worst. Uh, thus far, I think Eric Rowe has been the best, most consistent, largest sample size performer of this group. So I'm going to put him in one. I will put Preston Williams at two. I will put Zach Sealer at three. Zach's been really good the last three weeks. I'll put Gaskin at four, Bobby McCain at five, Nick Needham at six. Nick's starting to frustrate me a little bit. Seems like he's got a coverage penalty every week. There are a slew of more questions that we did not address uh, today. I look forward to answering some of them on tomorrow's show in addition to some other topics. Topical, we'll look at all 22 from the win against San Francisco. I know we're going to talk about Robert Hunt a lot because he was a monster against San Francisco. So earmark that. Come on back, see us. I'll tackle a few more of these questions that I did not get to uh, in addition to the offensive All-22 impressions Thursday, defensive All-22 impressions from San Francisco game, and then Friday, crafting a game plan to beat the New York Jets. Good week ahead of us. Hit subscribe on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks, as always, for listening. I hope to talk to you again soon.